If you have your Bibles, go and find your way to James chapter 1. Or I guess you can find your way to the, the app and not turn but scroll. Um, my name is Kyle Black. If I don't know you already, I'm pastor here at Watershed. We're, we're glad that you're here, that you chose to, to worship with you. We understand that it is a choice, that, that there are other things that, that you could be doing, especially on a holiday weekend. So we, we thank you for choosing to worship with us. We, we hope that you'll get into what we're talking about today and that, that the Spirit working through the Word of the Truth would impact your life in a way that it sets you on a trajectory that, that wouldn't happen without that. And so we're in our third week through this series on James. And in this series called Faith Works, that we're just trying to see what it looks like to live a life, the Christian life, as our faith works out in our lives. That, that we think that if you live as a Christian, we should be different. Different in how we approach life, different in how we see the things of culture. And, and so we, we look at James in that because James is very practical. Uh, I saw one, one place this week that there's 108 verses in James and 54 of those are imperatives, do this type verses. And so he doesn't just kind of give a, an overall, he says, no, do this. Like here, here it is, here's a practical outworking of your life, just do these things. And, and so that's, that's what happens when we read that passage today. Last week we talked about trials. And, and if you remember back, or if you, just to give a little context, that it's talking about giving it, that we should count it joy when we face trials. That it should be a joyful expression. We talked about how as maturing Christians, we, we see that we're maturing in our faith as we see that trials are sources of joy as we look to who Christ is in our lives. And then James, it, what he does in this first chapter is and, and a little more in this first chapter than, than what we get into later is he just switches. He's just like, he's going, there's no pause, and he just starts talking about something else. And we're, we're right in the, the second half of one of these changes to where from verse 12, he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised him to those who love him. And then in 13, he says, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. He, he switches there. And, and the switch that we have is from trials to temptation or from an external circumstance to an internal the, the trials are these external things that are happening to us, not necessarily as a result of us, that, that you've probably understood that a lot of your trials come from other people. I mean, you, you probably caused your, I caused plenty of my own trials, but there's other people to blame in that too a lot of times. But when we get into temptation now, what he's talking about in verse 13 through 18, he's completely shifted from external and now it's completely internal. So there's no one to blame but us. There's no one to blame this internal thing, this, this temptation. If we want to define temptation, um, Alistair Begg is a, a Scottish pastor. If you like listening to cool accents preaching really solid truth, you can look him up. Um, but he, he, he defines temptation as an enticement to sin or evil. This is the enticement to sin or evil. And, and we need to understand that as we keep working through. Because what happens when we face trials, we're tempted to blame God, right? When, we, when, when we're having trials, like James talked about last week, when we look at all this stuff, the, the first thing we do is we blame God. How can you let this happen in my life? 
what kind of God are you if this happens? And so it's natural then in the practical sense, James starts verse 13, this switch into temptation is that no one said he's been tempted by God. He's like, all right, you can't complain. That's the one thing that we're drawn to first that you can't do is what James is saying. It's that no one say that when he's being tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. And so when we look at that, the practical nature of that, and I can see a parent doing this, like you know exactly what they're gonna say next and you just, no, don't even say it. That's what James is, he's like, I know you're gonna see these trials, I'm telling you to count it joy and what are you gonna do? You're gonna be frustrated and you're just gonna blame God. He says, no. You can't blame God. And the temptation in trials is to do that. And that's an internal thing expressing itself externally. And so what we want to do today is when we look at these five verses here is understand really a perspective. That when we look at temptation, it's all about perspective. It's who we see ourselves to be in light of who we see God to be. And really that's everything with a Christian life. It's who do we see we are or who do we say we are, acknowledge who we are, and who do we acknowledge and say God is? That's both sides of the story. That if we're going to look at it, that's, that's what we need to do. And so that's what we're going to get in today. Um, but first, if you will, let's just, just pray and just ask God to, the Spirit to guide us through this, if we will, as we continue further. Father God, we, we come to you today. We open your truth. God, and we thank you for giving us your truth. God, we thank you that, that you have given us your word of truth, that you've written down how to live. God, and we thank you for the practical wisdom that you have given us in James, God, that you inspired him to write. And just pray that today that we would resist the temptations to change your truth, to make it more palatable for our lives. And just pray that your spirit would move freely in our hearts so that we might live for you instead of ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so when we look at both sides of that, we realize that we first have to look who we are. You're going to have to do it. Nikki is not letting me. Sorry. Just tell her. We, we have to look who we are, right? If, if we're going to be honest, and think about it life. If, if you don't have a good understanding of who you are, then nothing else is going to flow correctly, right? It's, there's something that's always going to be wanting. And so the same is happening when we see temptations. Like, if we don't understand who we are as relates to God, then temptations baffle us. We don't understand what the problem is because we can't seem to get away from them. We can't seem to go past that. And so what we see in, in, in look, if you will, read again with me um, in verse 14, 15, 16. It says, but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. The desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. And so what we see there, what James is saying is this idea that, that we are the source of our own temptations. It's coming from us. Um, J.A. Motyer in his commentary says that that tempting voice is the voice of our own sinful desire. So when we're tempted, it's coming from within us. It's not these external things. We're the reason. We're the problem with that. It's our own sinful nature. And we need to understand, too, that James is talking to believers. He's, he's talking to his brothers in dispersia that have been persecuted and pushed out by the Roman authorities here that are making life miserable, and so they, they scatter. And he's talking to them. He's saying, no, the, these are brothers. These are believers in Christ. And he's saying that you're the reason you have these temptations. 
And we need to understand that, that we're the reason. We're the reason it's our own desires. And what do our own desires do? They, they lure and entice us. They're, they're drawing, a lot of people use fishing analogy in that. And I don't get that because I'm not a fisherman. So I'm like, okay, but, but they're, they're saying that that's exactly what a fisherman does. Is he puts the bait on the hook and it lures and entices the fish till eventually they bite and then they're caught. But it's their own desire that gets them to biting the bait. Which is exactly what James is saying here. It's our own desire. It's our desire to want that is what actually ends up entangling us. And I don't know if maybe I don't get the fishing thing because I've never actually enticed a fish well enough to actually catch one. Then it's like, what's the point of being there? Right? I sit there all day. I could be doing better things with my time. But we have to understand that that's what our desires do. They lure us and then they entice us and eventually we give in. Eventually, we fall for that. But one thing we cannot do is we cannot understand that those desires, we can't say that those desires in and of themselves are bad. The desire to want stuff isn't bad. It's what it reveals is when we're lured and enticed is how easily it is for us to change the, a positive desire or something that's good into a negative thing. The, the thing that comes to my mind is food. I like eating. I like eating good food, Right? And so what do you do? You eat too much, right? Have you ever walked out of the restaurant thinking, oh my gosh, how am I going to drive home because I ate too much, right? I do that way too often. Why? Because my desires for something good, food, it's not a bad thing. It's actually a really good thing that God's given us to enjoy. But when we overindulge, it's our desires luring, enticing us into something else. And I fall for that so many times. You got to be kidding me. But, but that's what we do. We're, we're lured and enticed. But it's not a bad thing to have that desire. It's a bad thing to use a positive thing negatively. It's a bad thing to take the good things that God's given us and use it negatively because we understand that desires and temptations aren't negative in and of themselves because Jesus himself was tempted. So if the, the fact that you're tempted is negative, then Christ is thrown out as Savior because he was tempted too. If we look over in, in Hebrews, it's the easiest place to see in, in Hebrews 4. It says, we have, he's talking about the, the, the writer of Hebrews saying that Jesus is our high priest. He's our great high priest. He's the one that goes between man and God, just as the high priest in Israel did. And so the writer, he says, that since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. And he says this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but the one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so if we're saying that James here is saying that, that temptations from us, temptations aren't bad, therefore our great high priest is just thrown out. But see, we can't add yet without sin like Jesus can. We don't have the yet without sin, but he's been tempted just like we are. But what does that matter? Does it, does it matter? But if we look back into chapter 2 of Hebrews, verse 18, he says, because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. And so we see this, this idea that Jesus himself was tempted, which shows us that temptation is not bad in itself, but you know, he can help us in that. And so why, how can we not be lured and enticed by our desires? We look to him, the author and perfecter of our faith. We replace our desires for the things of here negatively with a desire to grow deeper and deeper into who he is. Because temptation's always going to happen. We, we, we always want to get to this point where I'm not being tempted anymore. I've arrived. You're never going to find that spot. 
It never happens. It doesn't matter what you change. You're going to have desires. You're going to have temptations. The, the mature response that James is continuing in here is not taken over by those desires. And actually, Douglas Moo in his commentator, commentary puts it better. He says that Christian maturity is not indicated by the infrequency of temptation, but by the infrequency of succumbing to the temptation. And that's exactly what we need to understand. It's not that the, the temptation's going to go away. It's just that you're not going to be succumbing to those temptations. That's the sign of maturity. It's not that you don't have temptations. It's just those temptations don't affect you anymore. They, you have the ability to overcome them. Why? Because we have a great high priest who's able to help us through that. We can look to Christ in who we are. And it happens all the time. Just yesterday, I was looking through all of this, trying to, to, to organize everything, and, and I, was, I was tempted in a way that, that I've overcome a lot, and it was, it was close. It was close, and it was so easy that I could have so easily picked it. But thankfully, I'm going through this passage thinking of you that if I succumbed to that temptation yesterday, how can I proclaim to you today that you shouldn't? Right? And so it was, able, it was this reminder of the Spirit saying that you can't disqualify yourself from ministry by succumbing to the same thing you're about to tell people tomorrow not to do. But it's that realization that Christ is better that allows us to overcome that. We can't get to this idea. Then you look at verse 15, we see this perfect example of what happens. It's a, it's a life cycle of temptation, if you will. Verse 15 says, Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So we see in verse 15 this idea that the life cycle there of temptation is desires lead to temptation, and if you are lured and enticed and it goes into that, then it leads to sin, which leads to death. It's this ever negative cycle of what's going to happen. And if we don't replace our desires with Christ, that's the life cycle that we're going to be on. We're going to have these desires. They're going to continually be there, and they're continually lead to temptation. And that temptation is going to continually descend. It's going to continually lead to eternal death. But we have Jesus. And we see, if we look earlier in chapter 1, James gives us the life cycle of someone that has replaced those desires with Christ. That's what we see in verse 2 through 4. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, complete, lacking nothing. So testing leads to endurance. And endurance, perseverance, perseverance, maturity. That's the life cycle of someone that's replaced their, their desires with Christ instead of themselves. We look at that and we see that. And we, and we need to acknowledge too that, that Jesus, or that, that God does test us. He just doesn't tempt us and there's a difference. The best example I can think of is Solomon. He gave Solomon all this wisdom, right? But he also gave him fame, money, wealth, status. And what that was was a test. Are you going to use your wisdom for me and my kingdom or to expand all those things I've also given you? And he does the same thing in our lives. What he's given us tests us. He's not tempting us into that because he can't use evil to tempt because evil is completely contrary to who he is. And so we, must, we have to understand that. That if you knew something was going to destroy you, wouldn't you get away from it? Right? Wouldn't you destroy it first? I read a story a few years ago on the internet, which I classify that. I read it on the internet. I don't know. I never. It was about someone that had a snake, pet snake, which... That throws me off of knowing anything. Um, and so, but they were talking about that every now and then they, they had the snake out. It was a bigger 
I don't know, boa, whatever, uh, one of the ones that can get bigger. Um, and and they, they, they noticed that it was laying next to their toddler, always stretched out. And they were talking, and the story goes, they were talking to a friend that happened to, to know about reptiles and stuff, and they were like, well, you need to get rid of the snake. And they're like, why? And they say, because it's checking its length to make sure if it's capable of eating your kid. Like it was sizing up the kid, saying, okay, no, it can't literally fit inside of me, so I can't eat that yet. And if that's true, I don't know, but it's a perfect example of what happens with our desires, right? It lays out, it, it measures us to see if it's capable of overtaking us, and if we don't do anything about it, eventually it kills us. Even though we had every opportunity to destroy that. And the reason we don't is because we don't acknowledge who we are. We like to think we're better than we actually are. And that's not to say that we're terrible people. We're sinful people. And the power of the gospel allows us to overcome that. And we're going to fail. And we're going to be unlovable. If you live with someone else, you understand that. That, that so often we do that. But if we don't see our temptations in the light that we can't overcome them through the power of the Spirit, then we're constantly going to live in this negative light, that there's no way out of it. And that's why we need to remind ourselves that, that who, of who God is. And if we look at the next part of this chapter, 16 is kind of the bridge. Do not be, see, be deceived, my beloved brothers. Okay, here's it is. You're going to be lured and enticed by your own desires. It's going to conceive, give birth to sin. Sin, when it's fully grown, is going to bring death. Don't be deceived. Don't take the bait. Forget about that. Throw that out there. Don't take that. Don't be deceived. Why? Because of who God is. 17 and 18. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. We see that then, who God is. So if we're not going to be deceived, we're going to see who got it. Who is he? He's a giver of life. He's, he's a giver. And so if we're not going to, over, if we're going to overcome our desires, we're going to replace those desires from, with ourselves. We're going to replace ourselves and our desires with him. We understand that God is good, that God is giving. He's a giver of every good gift, that every gift, every perfect gift is from above. He gives us hope. We see that in Jeremiah 29, 11. Even though they're in exile. They've been thrown out, completely thrown out of the land that was promised to him. He says, I know I have a plan. There's, there's a plan for hope. He gives us hope. He gives us peace. 2 Thessalonians 3.16. He gives us victory. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says they have victory in Christ. He gives us strength. Psalms 29. He gives us life in his son. John 10.10, 10, it says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. So the thief comes, these desires come to kill and destroy, but I've come to give you life. Not just life, but life abundantly. We find it in him. God is a giving God. He's a good God. He gives us light. He shines light into darkness. With, there's no variation or shadow. And we see that it contrasts with his creation. What's the main light that we have is the sun, and it's constantly, we're constantly moving around the sun, so the sun is constantly shifting. There's different shadows, there's different parts, depending on the seasons. Sun shines differently. That's not how it is with God. He is no variation. So he's the true light, a contrast with creation. There's no shadow, no change. He's constant. He's ever constant. And so if we're going to overcome our desires that constantly happen, 
Isn't it, doesn't it make sense to replace those with the one ever constant light in the world? That's the way we do it. We see who God is. That he's unchanging. He's never going to change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's how we can keep living our life, even though we're tempted, even though we see our desires, and it's, 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 it's hard. We have to understand what the gospel tells us, that we have life because of him. And we have that life because God is Savior. Look at verse 18. 18 is probably my favorite verse in this passage, but it's also the hardest for us to understand as people. Out of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Out of his own will. If we're going to understand that, we're going to have to realize who we really are. We have nothing in this our life, bringing us forth, that's new life, that's, that's birth. Like Paul says, the old creation is gone, the new has come. He brings us forth, he gives us new life, why? Of his own will. It was nothing that we did. We didn't somehow get a, a little bit better so he could then save us. No, it was out of his will that he gives us life. He brings us forth from the word of truth. If you take the word of truth, Jesus in John 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And so we see that he brought us forth, gives us new life. How? Through his son. This is the ever constant thing that we have. And so why? To keep his promise. He keeps his promise that we should be the kind of first fruits of his creatures. Of his creatures. What did he tell Abraham? You're going to be the father of a nation. Your descendants are going to be like the stars. Right? We're the first fruit of that promise. We fulfill that promise in Christ when he brings us forth to new life. So he doesn't just not change. He fulfills his promises, unlike us. He fulfills our promises, unlike we do. He set us aside as the first fruits. The first fruits, if we go back to Israel, the first fruits, that was the, the choice that was set aside for the use of God. So if we're the first fruits of his creation, of the creatures, then we should be set aside for his use. That's what James is saying. Forget the temptations. Resist those, but understand that you have life. Life abundantly. Why? Because he brought us forth but his own will. Paul says the same thing in Ephesians 1. He says, making known to us the mystery of his will. God, making known the mystery of his will to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. It's his will. It's his purpose. He set forth in Christ. Again, in 2 Timothy, he's instructing Timothy how to lead the church. He says, who saved us, talking about God, who saved us and called us to be holy, to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. It's his own purpose and grace. See, it's, it's hard for us to understand that because we feel like we're the center of our universe, right? That I control what I do. Like I can, I'm going to go home and take a nap this afternoon because I can do what I want to do. This is not the reality. Yes, you can control that, but you can't control your desires and everything else. Only through the Spirit can we do that. And that then shows us how we can have this personal maturity that's wrapped up into understanding that we're still going to have temptations, yet we cannot be deceived. Why? Because every good thing that we need has already been given to us in Christ because been, we've been brought forth into new life through Him. We don't need anything else. And if you need something else, you don't understand the gospel. If you need more than Christ, you haven't experienced him. And that's what James is saying. So if we have these desires and they continually conquer us, we have to ask ourselves, do we really know who Christ is? 
And to not have those desires, we have to replace those desires with him. So we live our lives. So as a parent, maybe you respond instead of reacting. And that's hard. Your kid does something you tell them not to do. I'm, I fail at this. I'm a terrible dad at that. I go crazy. I don't know how many times I've had to ask Keaton for forgiveness because I reacted the way I shouldn't have. But it's those desires of expecting him to be someone that I can't even be. So as a parent, maybe you respond instead of react. As a wife, maybe you build up your husband instead of looking for every opportunity to push them down. Acknowledge what they do, that they work. Maybe you don't compare yourself to others because you realize that your identity and your worth is found in Christ instead of what everyone else says it is. Maybe as a, just a man, maybe you humble yourself and realize that you're not that good. Right? Because that's what, that's, what, that's what the problem is with men is we, we fail to realize that we don't have all the abilities that we want to have. That, that we can't fix everything. That we can't, we can't Google and find a video on how to fix our lives, right? Because that's what we do, right? If you need to fix something, I'll be honest, if I need to fix something on my truck, I Google it and find a YouTube video so someone knows how to do it. So far, it's worked okay. But we can't do that in our life. We have to replace that with Christ and realize that he's the one that showed us how to live that life. Why? Because he lived it for us. Maybe as a husband, we, should, we love our wives instead of using them that we set them up and understand that, that they've been given to us to love and cherish, and so we should do that instead of using them, building them up. If, we, if, you, if you work, maybe, you, maybe you're just a good employee, even though when your boss is miserable or other people get advancement that don't deserve it. Instead of following those desires to just be bitter and frustrated, maybe just keep living your life and be a good employee, realizing that everything that you're frustrated about, you've already gained in Christ. That's where this is practical. It fits every single avenue of life. Anything that you complain about, you can replace with the gospel understanding that it doesn't matter. Maybe if you're a teacher, I know we have a lot of teachers, myself included, maybe we pray about our students instead of venting about them, right? That's a hard one. Like, I got to go do that, right? It's frustrating. It's frustrating. Don't, have you, I, I get to this point, one of the biggest things I tell students is that you can, you, it's a choice that you make not to act that way. You have a choice. You cannot pester that person. You cannot follow that person around. But then I think about, maybe I should pray that they understand that that's a choice. Maybe I should pray that they see that. Maybe they should see me responding appropriately. And then they would as well. Maybe we should, should pray for people. Because if we do these things, we'll see that all of these things, if we do them, we'll see that we're, we're able to overcome those temptations as we mature in our faith and understand that the gospel replaces every desire. So we're not held down by these negative things. We actually are more than conquerors through Christ who gives us life. And if we do that, it doesn't matter where we are in our life. It doesn't matter if we're a civilian or a soldier. We can still act the way we are supposed to act. It doesn't matter what we do because we have been brought forth of his own will by the word of truth that we should be a first fruit of his creation. So that's all we have to do. Are we acting, are we living a life that we're the first fruit set aside for him and his purposes? 
And we could list off things over and over and over again. We have to know how to live. And to know how to live, we look at Christ and see that he overcame everything so that we don't have to. The victory's been won. We still have those temptations and desires, but we know the one that conquered those desires so we can replace them with him. It doesn't mean we have perfect lives. It means that we're real about who we are in relation to who God is. And when we understand that, our faith will be alive and working in our lives, through our lives, so that people would see how we're different. And then we can proclaim the gospel to those who don't understand it. Let's pray.